All right. Shall we jump right in? We shall. <laughs> it's shall a dramatic we, pause. Yeah, no, but, sure. shall, but yeah. shall we really? Or, or do you... <laughs> well, I'm, well, think of the word shall, though. It's like, yeah. you know, when Moses said, thou shall not, it's, yeah. it's not a suggestion. It's, it's no, a, it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a suggestion at all, is it? <laughs> no, no. All right. And on that note. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. It is Sunday when we're recording this. I don't know when you're listening to it, but uh, we're here every Sunday for you guys. And uh, I have on the line Chris Sheridan. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Awesome. It should be a fun show today. Uh, I am your host, Jason Napolitano. And as I said, uh, this is the Cosmic Eye Show where we're investigating uh, the occult, uh, psychological, spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, etc. cetera, uh, subjects each week. And we're glad that you joined us. Thanks for being here. Um, you can check us out at CosmicEye.org or at ChrisSheridan.com for Chris's information. Uh, I have a book called If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. And Chris has a book called The Spirit in the Sky. So there is all our general chit-chat. I'll get that out of the way and we'll jump right into the show. Uh, actually, thank you for supporting us. Uh, if you're supporting us monetarily, that is my, this is going to be my last little statement. Uh, and if you are not, please do so. Think about doing so. We are at anchor.fm slash cosmic eye, and you can make a small monthly donation there, anywhere from 99 cents to 9.99 a month uh, to keep the show on the air and keep us uh, commercial free and keep us moving forward with this great information that we're putting in, putting in here. So uh, without further ado, we are going to talk today about the elements and their inhabitants, the elements and their inhabitants. This is uh, mainly from chapter uh, 23, uh, of Manley Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. Um, so we're going to talk about the four elements of the ancients, uh, earth, air, water, and fire. And then we're going to talk also about the elementals, who are the creatures that inhabit these, uh, these um, realms. Each of these uh, areas, uh, earth, air, fire, and water, principles or realms. And they're sort of an archetypal kind of, um, kind of zone where these elemental creatures live. We'll talk about this more. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is the, the general, the general uh, area we're going to be talking about, and we're going to go delve down into each one of those elements and those elemental creatures, um, kind, of, kind of contextualize it, the whole thing for you and, and have some fun with it. So the first thing I want to do is just read the, uh, the, the opening uh, paragraph in, in Manly Hall's work, because I like this. He uh, points, all, points out kind of where we're headed in general. So for the most comprehensive and lucid exposition of occult pneumatology, the branch of philosophy dealing with spiritual substances, extent, uh, mankind is indebted to Philippus Aureolus Paracelsus, which is the written writing name of Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. So those are both a mouthful. You think maybe we went with a one name like Madonna or something, Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim, but he went with Philippus Aureolus Paracelsus. Uh, mostly he's known as Paracelsus, by the way, in the, in the, uh, in the ancient world. Uh, not in the ancient world, in the modern world. He was from the Middle Ages. Uh, prince of alchemists and hermetic philosophers and the true possessor of the royal secret, the philosopher's stone, the elixir of life. This is Paracelsus himself. Paracelsus believed that each of the four primary elements known to the ancients, earth, fire, air, and water, consisted of a subtle vaporous principle, and a gross corporeal substance. So we're going to be going deeply into that and talking about what exactly that means. Uh, first, uh, why don't you talk, Chris, a little bit about, um, about Paracelsus, the background and history of him, and, um, and where this information comes from um, as far as the work that, you know, the Manly Hall is drawing from. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, sure. Like uh, you said, he's from the Middle Ages as far as um, time. He's from Switzerland. Uh, I guess present day, what is present day, Switzerland. And um, I guess his dates are 1493 to 1541. So it's, you know, the dawn of the Renaissance, um, you know, a lot of philosophic thought. I think Descartes, there's a lot of um, kind of leading up to what would be the Renaissance, uh, this new thought uh, or new way of looking at maybe old things. Uh, he was a physician, uh, worked a lot with alchemy. He's known for alchemy as well as uh, his work with the elements. Um, well, because <laughs> the elements are alchemical and, and they are certainly worked with, with that. I think one of the things um, 
you know, commonly attributed to him uh, was his work with tinctures, that is mm -hmm. distilling down essences of uh, herbs and flowers and uh, medicines uh, to maybe give you a teeny, teeny, teeny little bit of the problem like a vaccine as well, a way of building up a resistance to it and, uh, and curing, uh, curing with it. Homeopathy, uh, uh, I think, is yes, based exactly. on that idea, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, that's, uh, that's exactly it. Uh, whether or not he invented it, but he, he's somebody who worked a lot with that, mm -hmm. uh, associated with his name. Uh, but like a lot of people in that, that era that were, you know, great thinkers, they were philosophers, mathematicians, doctors, healers. You know, there was, they always had multiple yeah, exactly. titles, it seemed. Uh, you know, these, that's why we're still talking about them today, because they were, um, they really had a lot going on and a lot to offer. Uh, and this, uh, he gets uh, most of the citation in this chapter, mainly all gives to um, Paracelsus through uh, a translation by Franz Hartmann, which was, I think, first published in the late 1800s, 1892, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, it would have been maybe 30 years old or so when, uh, when yeah. Hall was gathering it. It, was, it would have been fairly contemporary. Uh, but it was also, and it's called Paracelsus and the Substance of His Teachings. That's the, uh, you know, translated into English. Uh, and that's what you can get it at archive.org. Uh, but the quotation uh, that is given or the citation for the quote uh, that is given is the um, Philosophia Occulta or Occult Philosophy. Um, there is, not to be confused, there is a book by Agrippa who would have been a contemporary called Occult Philosophy or uh, three, Philosophia yeah, three Occulta. Of, yeah, exactly. Three books uh, of Occult Philosophy. It's also in called. In the original language. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find those two on archive, but they're not the same thing. Actually, the Philosophia Occulta that is being referenced in uh, this chapter of uh, the secret teachings attributed to Paracelsus was probably unpublished. Mm. Uh, but uh, this Franz Hartmann had access to his published as well as some other published writings. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And he gathered them together and, and he said Paracelsus and the substance of his teachings, which is kind of interesting in a way because isn't that what Paracelsus did anyway? He distilled things down to their substance and <laughs> Good element. Point. So, yeah. So I actually recommend that, and thanks to, to Mr. Hall. But just, just to get you there, if you go down Philosophia Occulta, you might not reach Paracelsus in the substance of his teachings uh, by yeah, And that's yeah. the one you, uh, that he uh, obviously read to Yeah, to thank you for, uh, for doing the sure. background work on that. I appreciate you looking that up. I actually was not aware of that, so I'm glad that you, uh, you dug down. And see, this is a little bit of what we're doing here. We're trying to you know, get you to the original sources and we're trying to, you know, break things down and try to figure out, you know, where, where stuff is coming from, where it's going and so on. So, and make uh, no light of this, that Mr. Hall in the secret teachings specifically also in other works, but very much so in this one, mm -hmm. everything is cited or quoted. Mm -hmm. And there's an extensive bibliography um, from which he, he draws uh, a lot of his information. So it's, um, he did a lot of research. Yeah, for so sure. For sure. In, in the twenties, when he was researching this, you know, he's getting to source material. So it's kind of nice to take a look at what he was looking at. Yeah. As as we look at what he's you know presented to us in the twentieth century. Absolutely. And in addition, okay. I mean, he had his own you know spiritual and occult practices that he was involved with, and so on. So he was coming straight from the source as well. So, you know, he doesn't talk much about you know those groups, and he's he's. He honors their secrecy and so on, but we know that he uh, he did participate in some of those um, philosophical and occult groups. We know that he was a 33rd degree Mason. We know that mm -hmm. for sure. And there's pretty good evidence that he was involved with some other uh, spiritual and occult groups as well. So he definitely knew what he was talking about. And uh, we appreciate his influence uh, each week on the show. And uh, both of us, you know, have had a great experience working at PRS. I briefly, Chris, for quite some time. Uh, so we have great respect for Mr. Manley Hall. Uh, all right, so let's jump into this then. We're going to talk about uh, first the, the four elements. So most people know the four elements or have heard of them. I mean, if you're you know into esoteric or spiritual work, uh, neo-pagan movements, Wicca, what have you, you know we're familiar with the four elements. But well, we're going to kind of go over it and just uh, just do a little overview, a brief overview or review. You know, uh, so the ancients basically believed that the physical that our physical existence, the physical universe, is made up of four primary elements, earth, air, fire, water. 
And these come out of a sort of a divine no thing or nothing called Akasha. Sometimes it's called uh, spiritual ether. Sometimes it was called a fifth element or the quint quintessence. Um, that's, that's the sort of matrix upon which these, these, um, uh, these elements come from. So now these four elements are not the, the actual physical uh, elements that we would think of. They're, they're connected to them, but they're actually the sort of archetypal or, or mythological basis, I guess, if you want to say that these, that these, that the physical world is built upon. So there's an invisible and then there's a visible sort of nature to these different elements. So for example, there's, you know, there's earth and that's the actual earth, uh, you know, the physical material, which we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there's the element or the elementary, elementary kind of archetypal world behind it. And that is what we're going to talk about when we talk about the elementals. These are the creatures that inhabit this sort of um, this mythological and archetypal world of, of these different elements of each of the elements. Um, so all these all physical things then are created by a combination of elements, basically. So something is has, you know, earth and fire and water and different um, or air in different in different sort of um compounds to make up the things that you know we have wood uh, a stone uh, a, a living organism even the human body is made up of these elements and well, especially the human body yeah That's for sure a, and in the same proportions that the earth if the earth is 70 percent water we are 70 percent water yeah you know made from clay uh, as the the myth goes yeah yeah um, the, the clay of the earth the stuff of the earth we have you know blood moving through us like a river we have a body temperature we're warm blooded so we have a fire element mm -hmm. exactly um, yeah and, and you know that's that's the that's the interesting thing about all these 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 ideas i mean they're very practical and very deep ideas you know i think sometimes we we think because we've made so many strides in science that oh these are these are just you know superstitions and myths and you really have to kind of go back and put yourself in the shoes of these people that were figuring these things out. When you really do, you know, think about the experience of, of life, you know, you, you really can kind of group every, everything into earth, air, fire, or water. If you, if you think about it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not for nothing that they came up with these ideas. I mean, the deep amounts of philosophical, discussion thought and meditation went into these ideas and they are still valid today you know when you think about them um mythologically speaking and archetypally speaking uh that's 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 the beauty of these these ancient wisdoms they still it can exist alongside of science and chris and i talked a little bit about this before the show we wanted to go into this a little bit uh, just to kind of contextualize it it's that th these ideas you know, what they do is they, you know, they add warmth and they add story and they add drama and image to ideas that are very hard to grasp, you know, intangible, invisible energies that are the constituents of the universe, you know, to be able to, to see them in ways that, you know, where they're actual creatures um, and beings makes them much more alive than I, I think than to be than to just look at them like a formula a scientific formula or something like that i mean both are valuable don't get me wrong they're both valuable but what i'm saying is i think today you know we've we've lost some of our power to mythologize and to live in that that world of 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 childlike sort of reverence for the world and the ancients had that that worldview as their primary worldview so that, you know, in essence, like everything had a certain sacredness to it. You know, every tree had a, had a, had a gnome living in it. Every, every fountain had a nymph in it. Every river, you know, had a, had a, a water sprite. Every ocean had some sort of a mermaid, you know, everything had a being that existed within it invisibly and guided it. And I think when you, when you have that, mythological worldview even today even with science so we still have an understanding of you know natural you know natural science and law and you know the order of the universe and, and and scientific understanding but carrying with us also that mythological understanding of these things can do uh can give us a, a lot of meaning in our lives do you know what i mean well, 
I do. And well, the ancients and, you know, up until, you know, maybe the scientific age thought of the world as being alive. Like everything was living. Oh, the, even if it seems superstitious now, you know, oh, the winds come or you do a rain dance. Uh, but they do seem like they're living things. You ever see a fire rage out of control in yep. the mountains? Yeah, it exactly. It seems like it has a mind of its own. Yes, I know it's following properties of nature or a beautiful wave or something. It's like they're, it just seems like there's something more to it than just an inert, dead, you know, physical universe function or something. Exactly. You know? Or some random event that has nothing yeah. connected to it, you know, that's just a, 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 a phenomenon of, of randomness. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, separate from meaning. But I think if maybe we can look at these things again without losing the scientific yeah. knowledge. No, exactly. You know, we're not going to go backwards. But maybe we need to bring forward some of the things we've lost along the way. And that, yeah. I think, would add maybe an appreciation and a reverence uh, towards some of these forces of nature. Maybe we'll take care of our planet a little bit better yeah. if we saw these things as being alive and being relevant exactly. to our lives exactly. and vital to our existence. Not just, again, we're even treating the environment like it's, well, it's, we have enough green things. Well, we don't have mm -hmm. enough green things. Mm -hmm. like, it's almost like even that can sort of become a commodity. Yeah, absolutely. And or then, materialize, even no, if you're, you're trying to be environmental, right. so to speak. Well, it's what you recycle, it's what you reuse, you know, it's all in these things. Those are still aren't alive. You need to get them even more alive. Yeah. Like we're, I guess, getting to in this, this chapter. Is I, I wholeheartedly agree. Amen, I say to you. I, <laughs> yeah, right. you're, you're preaching today. I love it. And I completely agree um, with you. It's, we've got to revitalize our experience with, with the earth and with the invisible realm. And, you know, to, to create that meaning that people used to have. I mean, we've, we've scienced ourselves into a certain nihilistic viewpoint, you know, where we think we can explain everything. We think we've got all these, you know, the, and, and even the things that are mysterious to us. Well, it's just a matter of time before science figures that out. That's like that. That's a very arrogant point of view. There are things I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we will never figure out. As long as as long as human beings continue to exist, unless we evolve into some sort of, you know, godlike entity where we're completely absorbed, you know, absorbed into the, you know, the super consciousness or something, which probably will happen at some point. I'm sure it will, you know, over the course of eons. But, you know, at this point in our evolution, you know, I find it extremely arrogant for us to think, well, it's just around the corner. We'll figure that out, you know, that science will be able to explain everything. You know, science can explain a lot, you know, of how things work and what's going on in the here and now and, you know, the, the way things work and how to fix certain certain things and engineer certain things and so on. And it's fantastic for that. Um, but in terms of questions of meaning, questions of value, philosophy, morality and ethics and so on, you know, science is not to be called on. And we all know this. So I'm preaching to the converted because most people listening obviously have, you know, a more spiritual outlook or you wouldn't be listening. Right. So. But the point is, it's important to kind of, you know, sometimes investigate our unquestioned assumptions about things like, um, you know, for example, these, this idea of elementals, like we say, you know, we think, well, these are just mythological creatures and they're, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not real. And, you know, I understand they're, they are symbolic and they are, uh, they do have different images and different sort of uh, localized versions that exist around the world in different places. Um, so, you know, we know that they're not a sort of fixed objective entity, but no one ever said they were. Even the ancients said they were, they were invisible creatures that lived in a different realm. So to envision, envision you know, these elemental properties, an elemental fire, elemental earth, elemental air, elemental water, as as a as a as a living dynamic creature, to me is not uh, is not far fetched. And to say that they don't exist because you know you can't capture them with a picture or with a microscope or what have you does not mean they don't exist. So I got a story like when von Franz first met um, Jung, Maria Louise von Franz first met uh, C. G. Jung. He was telling a story about how uh, he was speaking to a patient and she, she was talking about this dream she had where she was on the moon and this and that was happening to her. and She was being attacked by some creature on the moon and this and so forth. And at the end, von Franz said to him, well, if, of course, you mean she imagined she was this was happening to her. And Nuke said, no, that is what happened to her. And she said, I wandered away from that. And I was thinking about it all afternoon. I thought 
either I'm too stupid to understand what this man's saying, or he means that because she believes that this is occurring to her because of her experience that it actually is occurring. And this is where that mythological realm is. People oftentimes think it's made up. Do you know what I mean? Or it's imaginary and it is imaginal. In other words, these images will be unique to different people, but there is an archetypal structure of energy underneath it that is real. And that's what we have to remember about these things. So if you can just kind of stretch your imagination a little bit to kind of think, well, what is possible? What am I seeing? What is, you know, because I'm not seeing something or because science says something about this or that, does it mean that, that, that these things that the ancients saw don't exist or does it mean that I don't see them in the same way? It's a good question to ask yourself. It's like, it's like, you know, a shaman, you know, operates in a different realm in, you know, and then, then, then the average person does and goes in and experiences the spirits and sees all of these types of things comes back and, you know, and then that is an ordinary state of mind. But, you know, because we don't see that, then, you know, we, 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 we can't dismiss that it, that it's real. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, I do. Questions of reality and. Well, what you is, know, you know, what is real exactly. becomes a question, but exactly. um, if we go back to uh, Hall and again, quoting um, Paracelsus, um, you know, what is this liminal state? Okay. If there's matter, say like, you know, earth matter or me <laughs> matter uh, yep. being, um, and then there's spirit as being really no matter, that it's completely ethereal, completely amorphous. The elementals are somewhere actually in between. Yeah. yeah. They're not just disembodied spirits that sometimes show up. They're, they're act, because they're connected with the elements, and the elements do have a physical structure. Exactly. Um, that they're sort of in the in-between. So regardless of which element uh, we're talking about, what is the elemental? What is this in-between creature? And he uses the mixture of, uh, he uses purple uh, and color to explain this idea. And, and from quoting the book, thus, the mixture of blue and red gives purple a new color, resembling neither of the others yet composed of both, yeah. such is the case with the nature spirits. And that, he goes on later to talk about dreams, how uh, upon waking, you can feel, you know, like a nighttime dream. Uh, upon waking, you might feel, you could be, you know, out of breath, mm-hmm, sweating, mm-hmm. like you physically went through the thing. Sure. Did you really experience that? It's yeah. as if it did. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so this is what we're talking about, this liminal yeah. state. And uh, we, we need another state of consciousness to see them or experience them. But so, you know, whether it's real or not, it sure seems real and... Uh, and we'll we'll get more deeper into these actual uh, beings and how they may appear, you know, to us, depending on how well we're tuned in and, you know, the conditions um, around us. But just to get that's something that we deal with all the time. Yeah. Especially now with technology, wireless technology. Sure. Uh, there we know. And, you know, when Hall wrote this, you know, this was before television. Yes, there was mm-hmm. radio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there was that wireless thing. But now we really live in a wireless, even though the phones aren't. Yeah, exactly. Anything. And it seems well, kind of magical. And it's question any of that. That's the thing. That's the thing that amazes me. Like, oh, well, of course we should be able to do this. But this type of technology is. You know, it's like magical hocus pocus to uh, to, you know, if you took it back, you know, into well, the past years <laughs> or even hundred years. You're right. So, yeah. you know, so you have to you know, it's, it's not just about the, the science of it, but it's about the, the consciousness and its expansion. And, you know, as our consciousness expands, we have to also, you know, keep in mind that there still is an unconscious uh, collective unconscious and a realm of invisible imagery that exists and exerts influences on things, you know, and that would be analogous to like the, you know, the, the invisible realm that like, for example, our wireless communication is taking place on. It's another realm. It's real. It's, you know, it, it, it exists. Um, You can't put your finger on it necessarily. You can't necessarily see it under a microscope, but it's definitely it's, affecting but us. But it's there and it affects us. And that's where... Through telecommunication I, and possibly injury if the radiation is... You know, absolutely. Electromagnetic radiation. So absolutely. we don't even... It, it may be affecting us in ways we don't even know. Yeah. 
you know, uh, but you can't argue that it doesn't have some effect on our lives. No, exactly. And, you know, the, and more, you know, this is the other thing I want to stress is that, you know, the more work they do in neuroscience um, and so on and, and, and psychology and some of this new experimental psychology and things like that, the more they're finding that, you know, story is essentially how we we organize information and how the brain functions, story and imagery. Um, so that's how we make meaning. That's how our lives are constructed through story and imagery, essentially. You know, we create a narrative and that structure is embedded in the structure of the brain. And so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just a set of random impulses firing off. There's a, there's a, there, we make meaning and the, you know, the brain helps us to, to organize that meaning making and all that for, for the, you know, for the mind and the, and the soul, I, I believe. But, but so, so there's a whole integrated process of what's going on, but at, at bottom it's, you know, it's storytelling and that's why mythology and imagery and symbolism are so very powerful. Do you know what I mean? And that's what, you know, what, what is so important to reconnect with some of these myths and understand, you know, the way ancient people thought, because it's, it really is the way that our, the, you know, the more primal functions of the mind or the brain actually, actually work. So really interesting point. Yeah, yeah. it is how we learn. It's how we share yeah. information. It's how we process, how we make sense of the how world. We make decisions, how we recall yeah. things, the, the way, you know, the way we give order to, to anything, uh, the way we, we prioritize this or that thing as being important. All of that is based on imagery and story and, and memory. You know, of course, culture plays a big part in that. Culture plays a big part in that, but wrapped up in that culture is the stories that we tell ourselves that give meaning to our daily life. Do you know what I mean? And so, so when we get in touch with that kind of stuff and we start looking at some of these ideas that the ancients had, like about elementals, you know, which might seem kind of strange or the four elements, these might seem kind of strange to us, but then we start breaking them down and really looking at how the mind works with the strange images that come up in dreams and, you know, the, in, in surreal artwork, we see these things. And even, you know, in some of these video games they create today with this wild imagery and stuff, it's like straight out of the collective unconscious. It's amazing. But that's all, you know, that's all that mythical realm. You know, that's that imaginal and, and sort of liminal realm as you were, as you were describing it. And I, I think that's a great way of looking at it. So let's, let's kind of get into this and move along a little bit. We're about halfway through. So I want to jump into the um, uh, basics of the elementals. First, first I want to point, point out that the idea of elementals was widely believed in for a long, long time throughout history. And um, even up until the, the Renaissance, and, you know, people today even and speak, speak of these sorts of ideas. But um, like some of the people who, who spoke about having, uh, you know, experience with elementals like uh, in, in history, uh, Fazio Cordano, otherwise known as Facius Cardan, who was a great philosopher from Milan. He saw and spoke to sylphs, which are air elementals and was guided by them. The great uh, artist Cellini, Benvenuto Cellini, uh, had a, a, a salamander that he saw. St. Anthony spoke about a pan that he experienced, Napoleon, and this is pretty famous. Napoleon saw and conversed with a salamander uh, that was called uh, uh, Le Petit Homme Rouge, the little red man. And he was like a familiar that, that guided him. Uh, so these are all uh, examples in history of, of people who have, who have experienced these, these elementals. Uh, of course, this, this and this one, this is kind of a, a question that, that gets down into kind of um, the division of how you, how you divide elementals and you know different parts of oneself psychologically and so on. But also, uh, Socrates had his uh, a daemon, uh, which was his guide that uh, spoke with him. There's some some people feel that that was an elemental, and some people feel that that was more like an element of his higher self, like a psychological sort of uh, second self in a way. Um, that's probably closer to like Jung's definition of that. That would be similar analogous to Jung's, um, Jung's, uh, spiritual guide Philemon. Uh, so the, you know, those are in this, but again, in that same realm though, that same, uh, liminal realm, uh, between, you know, the collective unconscious and, and kind of our material and conscious existence. So, so those, those are some examples of those. So elementals, um, as we said, they're, they're connected to the four, the four realms, 
uh, that being earth, air, fire, and water. And these, these beings are made up in Paracelsus's um, idea of uh, what he calls a transubstantial flesh. So he said, there is as much difference between the bodies of man and the bodies of nature spirits as there are, as there are, as there is, excuse me, between matter and spirit. Um, so, but the elementals are not spirits per se. They are sort of a, again, a liminal creature. They're between spirit and between flesh. They have a sort of, sort of existence. And, you know, in the, in the, in the mythology, they have, they have families, they communicate, they, uh, but they can only exist and function in their own elemental realm. So the, the elemental realm of earth, air, water, or fire, they, they cannot cross over. Now, some writers and some, some occultists believe that they can fight with each other in their own realms, or they can fight between each other on the earth. So, for example, if, you know, lightning zaps a stone or something, it's like the salamanders are trying to beat up on the gnomes. So, so that's, that's, that's an idea there. Um, but like I said, basically, each elemental exists only in its own realm, only, only in its own realm. So, you know, the, so the and first in that, I mean, before we, you know, I know mm-hmm. we're going to get into to detail, but yeah. there's even like subdivisions. So like uh, if we're looking at, um, you know, mermaids or mm-hmm. the uh, undines, the water creatures, uh, there might be one that would be around a waterfall, might be different than yeah. one that's in a stream or one that's in a wave yeah. uh, by the shore. Exactly. It's still related and in that realm and same element, but there's further differentiation because they seem to be, again, to get back to the function, you know, that they are somehow involved with nature in yeah. these phenomena that we witness that there is, it's more to than just something happening. There's something living. There's something being. Exactly. Exactly. And they're at work behind the scenes. Yes. You know, I made a joke before, you know, before we got on, I had spilled some coffee and I said, oh, so I got attacked by some undines, you know, who are the water the water spirits, but you know, they're, the, they're, they're behind the scenes working in, working in nature. Um, and you know, they're, they're involved in the, the process of creation in the invisible realm is the idea. Wasn't that a, wasn't there a twilight zone or outer limits where like one of them left their hammer out when they were doing their work, when everybody was, you know, the gnome or some mm-hmm. kind of a I didn't invisible see that thing. One. Wow. But yeah, like he left his tool, fantastic. tool belt out or something. That, that was the sort of a link between the visible and like, aha, you know, there's aha, I caught him. was left behind yeah. with the hammer. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we're definitely working behind the scenes. Um, yeah, no, it's amazing. Well, so, so getting back to this idea, though, of them um, having sort of a lifespan there, they have a lifespan. So even, you know, they basically fade back into their elemental existence their elemental realm after they're done living but they have you know according to paracelsus they have a lifespan somewhere between 300 and a thousand years long um and the earth elementals have the shortest lifespan and the air elementals have the longest according to him so at any rate the earth elementals are are it's the 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 gnome family uh we're going to go into each one of these i'm just going to overview them the air is the uh, the region of the sylphs S-Y-L-P-H-S, sylph. Uh, the fire region is salamanders. And the water region is, is, is undines, U-N-D-I-N-E-S, undine. So the gnomes, um, as I said, are the earth uh, elementals. And, and this includes like brownies and elves and... Yeah, I was going to go into each of those, uh, oh, okay. those you families with the, the yeah yeah. There's so I was going to go some through more gnomes. familiar names that are associated exactly with sure say. exactly. That's a good point. So yeah, exactly. The gnomes are are gnomes, brownies, elves. Um, they're also uh, what else are they known as? Uh, little man of the uh, of the woods, uh, satyrs, pans, dryads. As you said, brownies. These are all in the uh, in the family of of the of, of the gnome realm, the earth realm. So these are earth elementals. Basically, they're the power behind rocks, minerals, flora, plants. That's why I think, you know, you've seen garden gnomes, for example. Oh, yeah, a garden gnome is overseeing the growing of the plants. They work in the area, though, of the minerals. So, so whatever the plant, you know, the minerals or, or the vitamins and so on that the plant's taking up and the growth and the coloring of the plant that has to do with, with, um, with that elemental realm of earth, 
minerals, rocks, et cetera. That's the, that's what, what gnomes would oversee. So they also oversee stones, gems, metals, uh, in Wagner's ring of, uh, uh, Nibelungen, uh, you see them in that, in that, uh, the ring cycle, uh, with the character of Alberic who, who takes over the, the, they're called pygmies in that, but there that's another type of gnome and he forces them to gather treasures for him. Uh, you see that the, the, uh, the, the seven dwarves are working down in a mine, you know, in uh, Snow yeah. White and the seven dwarves, uh, the, even the, the dwarves in, um, in uh, Tolkien's work, they're, uh, they're generally connected to the earth. You know, they work with metals and things like that. So, so you know, that's pulled, that's pulled from this, this sort of uh, mythological understanding. Oh, there's our buddy. Yeah. Um, he's dog, <laughs> dogs of the earth. Dogs of the earth. Working, dogs of uh, the earth are, are Although invisible, they are audible. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the so thing I think the liminal all, is breaking through. It's breaking through. Right well, because we're getting close to Halloween, that's why the, the, the membrane is thin, my friend. Ah, okay. the, mem- the membrane is through it. So every, the idea is also that every tree or plant, which we were talking about earlier, has its own gnome that lives within it. So its own kind of earthy creature that lives within it and protects it. This idea, by the way, is still alive today. Um, I have heard stories from uh, this, uh, I trained in Filipino martial arts, as I've talked about before. And a lot of the old school Filipinos, you know, know the old, the old stories and stuff. And there's still the idea that this balete tree, which uh, exists in the Philippines, like a sacred tree, um, when, when older folks, uh, walk, walk by it, they will generally say, excuse me, if they get near it, because they don't want to disturb any of the elementals that live in the, within the street, the invisible creatures that live there. They still do this to this day that when they throw something out the window, they say, excuse me, and forgive me if they throw water, okay. water out the window, because they don't want to disturb any invisible creatures and they don't want to, you know, receive the wrath of them, especially people that live close to the earth that live out in the jungles and stuff. And they still, you know, interact with, with life in a, in a, in a, you know, a lot of them with the same sort of this mythological viewpoint, there's, they've done that not to say that it's, it's primitive or whatever, and they believe in mm-hmm. science and they do all this stuff, but they also cool. are still connected to that more archaic part of themselves, that mythological part of themselves it makes life richer. In my opinion, it's also more compassionate. It is there's more compassionate. A, a Native American tradition of, um, you know, really thanking the spirit of the deer uh, before you shoot it in the neck with your arrow. Uh, you know that yeah or, exactly. or giving it a heads up like yeah. hey, look I'm, I'm about to you might want to get out of the body yeah of this deer because i'm about to hit it with an arrow it's you know and that prayer they felt was heard yeah. <laughs> at least they put it out there no exactly so, no that's that's a, I, you know and I, I i you know i my own uh you know when i'm eating i i, I like I, I usually if i'm eating meat i you know i, I don't very often um, but I will, I will say a, a little thanks for that. You know, that animal was sacrificed for that, for that. And it's important to remember that, you know, the, the, the being that existed and the, and the energy that was there and the spirit of that. Uh, so gnomes are ruled by uh, Gob, a being known as Gob. And uh, that's why uh, gnomes are also sometimes known as goblins. Yeah, goblins. So there you go. That's where that comes from. So female gnomes, and the girls are the goblet, right? It's clever. I was just going to get to that. There, I think call them nomides, but I like goblets oh, okay. too. That's okay. that's a female goblin. That's a goblet. <laughs> female gnome is a nomide. Okay, no All right. So you know, and and even today, and and when Manly Hall, when Manly Hall wrote this, oftentimes small children will see gnomes and fairies and things and interact with them. You know, and the idea is that they're, you know, they're closer to the unconscious. They haven't developed as strong of an ego yet, so they can still see through to this. Yeah, they've been brainwashed by the rest of us. Right? Yes. So there you go. (laughs) No, you can't have that. Oh, that's just your imagination. Oh, it's only a dream. Yeah, they haven't heard that 50,000 times. Yeah, for sure. Definitely more open. For sure. So that's the uh, earth element. So the second uh, is the water. Water spirits. We'll go through these pretty quickly because we are. Can I um, just interject? Jump in. We, we are, uh, as you cover each of these four mm-hmm. elements, uh, Hall makes the distinction as well, the connection rather, to the four directions. Oh yeah, good point. Very good sacred. Point. So good we just point. finished Earth, but Earth is being north. North. Yeah. Uh, air would be east. You know, I think the, the winds from the east. Mm-hmm. Uh, south. Birds fly south because it's warm. That's the fire element, and then west uh, with the water, but. Just to keep in mind, so if uh, I know I'm drawn to the four directions mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. creating sacred space, yeah, or things sure. like that. Um, but to link the element in with the direction is just another Those are also, level of connecting. Yeah, and they're also uh, connected to the four cardinal signs of uh, astrology as well. Uh, so you've got Taurus and Scorpio. Taurus is Earth. Yep, and it's Scorpio. 
and uh, Aquarius and Aquarius is air air, and uh, Scorpio is water and um, fire is uh, is Leo. 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 Yeah. Uh, The fiery mane of the lion. lion. Exactly. Okay. So this is where these connections all come into play. And this is the beauty of having, you know, this esoteric knowledge and, and reading the mythology and, you know, working with things like tarot and astrology and so on. You see these images come up and you see the archetypal connections to, you know, these four numbers of four and 12 and seven. And you can see them over and over and over again in all these mythologies. And, you know, it's a, they're sort of like when you start learning these building blocks, like the elements and the astrological symbols and the chakras and the seven ancient planets, you see how it all connects together in this, this ancient wisdom and it goes yeah, throughout all the too perfectly to be random. It's, it's pretty, <laughs> or just made up. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. And all throughout the, the mythology of, of, you know, most cultures. Yeah. There's differences here and there, but there are, are general consistencies throughout nearly all mythologies and mythological viewpoints. You'd have to be crazy not to see them. I'll just say that. <laughs> You know, are there slight differences? You know, in some cultures, is this thing this and this thing that? Yeah. But the big stuff, the big archetypal pieces, you know, they're they're wildly similar. And uh, I, I would argue that it would be nearly impossible for that to be a random occurrence. That's just my feeling on it. All right. So undines are the water elementals. Uh, they work in the spiritual essence called humid or liquid ether. That is the, the spiritual water. And they can control water and fluids. Uh, they're usually considered graceful or beautiful, symmetrical, and they're most often pictured as as females. Now we know them as most uh, most commonly known as mermaids or sea maids. That's the ones we're probably most familiar with in the modern world. Uh, they were also called oreades, nereides, uh, water sprites, and potamides. They're all some different different names for different uh, water waters creatures or undines. And um, like we said before, every every fountain or every ocean or every body of water, even little marshes or bogs, all had their all had their elemental creatures living in them. Um, and you know they were imbued with this uh, with this this beautiful imagery and and uh, spiritual essence. Um, they resemble human beings most often. This type of elementals, um, and they're and they're considered to be about the same size. Um, as a human being. And occasionally we're capable of assuming the appearance of a human being. So they could interact with human beings. And that's where a lot of that, that mermaid mythology and so forth. And those stories come from uh, that that's actually alive and well, even today uh, there is a, uh, there's a deity called uh, Mamiwata, which exists in uh, West Africa and Nigeria primarily. And uh, she's related to La Sirena, which is a mermaid. Um, and then uh, there's a there's a there's a mythological uh, uh, goddess called uh, called um, Oshun, who's uh, with fresh water in Africa as well. So like these these, uh, you know, these ideas are still alive and well in many cultures. This is not something. Yeah. Well, the mermaid on your Starbucks cup. There you go. That's a great point. Well, you know, and, and look, think about the, the mermaid in um, Splash. The mermaid in, uh, you know, Ariel in the, in the uh, you know, in uh, the Little Mermaid. So, you know, these, this, these ideas are still, you know, this, this, this image is still quite common in our culture today. Um, we look at it in a different way than the ancients did, but, but the, 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 the imagery is still there, right? So, all right, so we'll move along uh, to the next element, uh, elemental, and that is the fire realm. And the fire is associated, as you said, with the south, with heat. Uh, these are called salamanders. Uh, oh, actually, I want to go back. The uh, the leader or ruler of the uh, Undines is called Nexa, N-E-K-S-A. Nexa is like the, the, the queen of the Undines. Uh, okay, so the salamanders, the leader of the salamanders, the head is called Jin, D-J-I-N-N, which is, uh, which is related to the word genie, uh, which, you know, the kind of Arabic idea of the genie uh, and so forth is that that, that is related to fire. And these, the genie uh, from the lamp. The genie from the lamp, indeed, um, right. which makes perfect sense. The flame and the lamp and so on. Uh, so that's the salamander family. Uh, man, Paracelsus, and uh, several other ancient authors uh, feel that man uh, 
as we are, really, really can't effectively communicate directly with salamanders. Uh, but magicians and philosophers uh, could create incense from herbs and perfumes in that, in that incense. Uh, they would be able to, to sort of see and experience the salamanders through that, through that smoke uh, and through, the, through, the, uh, through an images that would, would arise through the, through the smoke. So these guys uh, generally uh, come up as, as small balls of light. Uh, this is how they're seen, or fire lizards, what are called kind of tongues of fire. Um, difference, uh, there was, there was some, some stories about sailors seeing uh, what they called St. Elmo's fire, which is a sort of fiery image they would see in the masts of the ships, and those are, that's the type of a salamander. It's a real thing. I know people have seen it. There you go. Probably uh, now science might say it's static electricity or some buildup in atmospheric conditions and like a localized low voltage lightning or mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. like that. But, but why not uh, the fiery salamanders uh, working it? There you go. There you go. They're back and believe both. They're behind it. They're behind yeah. it. All right. So apparently the salamanders are also the strongest and most powerful elementals, but the magicians and sages uh, of ancient times were, were warned to stay away from them because they're very unpredictable and, and quite powerful. So that makes sense. I mean, when you think about the nature of fire, it's very dangerous. It's very unpredictable. It moves in its of its own accord, and as you you know, we're talking about earlier, that's has kind of an energy and a life of its own. You watch that. Uh, I'm trying to think of that Ron Howard movie. What was that one with the firefighters? What was the name of that? It was um, Backdraft. Backdraft. The fire. Oh, it, was, it was a character. It really it is. I mean, it was, it was one of the primary characters. So if you want to yeah. see salamanders at work, watch Backdraft. It is uh, the the salamanders are alive and well. The fire is is a being unto itself in that film. They did a beautiful job in that. Um, all right. So the last category is the sylphs and these are the air and they are to the east, easterly direction, uh, the winds, uh, the air, the power of air. And again, these are, this is an invisible realm when we talk about elementals beyond the wind itself, but they, it's the, the, the archetypal air, the, the, the spiritual air. So it's a, it's a completely different realm. It's an ethereal air realm. And this is where these, it's an invisible realm that these elementals inhabit in this, in this ancient uh, wisdom. So apparently they have excellent sight, hearing, smell, etc. These are the these are these are the air creatures that are most likely uh, in ancient literature the, the 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 familiars and the the daemons and the different types of beings that communicate with humans are most often these sylphs and these air air creatures. Um, there, you know, air is is thinking the thinking process, and it's the sort of communicative mind. It's associated with Hermes and the magician, and so on. Um, so there's a level of communication, and that you know, and so in the elemental realm, that that it also follows that that's the same sort of thing. Um, like a muse, they're connected to the muses, guardian angel. Yeah, something. absolutely. So this is the family of fairies and fays and these kinds of little airy creatures. Tinkerbell is a fairy. Uh, these are kind of, kind of the most common uh, type of um, elementals that most people would associate and think of, uh, particularly Tinkerbell and those kinds of fairies. They're very Celtic and, you know, and, and British. There's, you know, and apparently that, uh, that, uh, the knowledge, that knowledge came with the Danes when the Danes conquered, uh, conquered, uh, conquered Britain. Uh, that, that word fairy is, 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 is derivative of a Danish word, uh, which let me look it up real quick because I forget what it is. 38. Hold on a second here. They well, there was are, some, what is that uh, word? Prospect that it was, uh, it came from Arabic. Um, All right, let me read sources. this. Oh yeah, no, Persian, Persian. So let me Persian, say this. Yeah. This is from, uh, yes, this <laughs> distinction between, yeah, that, yeah. sorry. No, I, well, I just found it finally. Yeah. So, okay, the oh, fays and fairies are evidently of Scandinavian origin, although the name of fairy is supposed to be derived from, or rather is a modification of the Persian peri, P-E-R-I, an imaginary benevolent being whose province it was to guard men from the, the malediction, maledictions of evil spirits. But with more probability, it may be referred to the Gothic fagur as the term elves is from alpha, the general appellation for the whole tribe of those particular types of creatures. If this derivation of the name of fairy be admitted, we may date the commencement of the popular belief in British fairies to the period of the Danish conquest. So, oh, they come, so they come in, in Danish uh, lore, they come from a, a fairy land called Alfheiner, Alfheiner. 
Um, oh, and so, yeah, I forgot about this. So this idea of these, uh, the little, there's so oftentimes they, they find in Britain and, and, and Celtic, uh, areas, um, both, both regions, both areas, uh, uh, what they call fairy rings, which are little beautiful green rings where, uh, the grass is, is left, uh, with, with rings on it and it's dewy and a certain, certain, um, pattern is formed. And that's believed to be fairies and, and, and their moonlight dances. It's a trace of them, I guess, like my, my like, like a crop yeah, circle a crop is circle, yeah, yeah. an alien. So <laughs> interesting. So these fairy rings are, are green rings. They're called or fairy rings are, are, are the sort of traces of fairies. All right. So, um, well, how do we make all this relevant to our lives today? Like what's the, well, I think what's what the we, connection? What we talked about before at the beginning is, is recognizing more mythological understanding of, um, of the world. You know, a little maybe respect for uh, for the natural earth, perhaps. Yeah. Well, here's maybe this has helped me kind of really understand yeah. these elementals because this really hasn't been a, an area of study for me until we, we brought this up. But, you know, mm-hmm. mild interest, but I really got into it with this. Um, I've made a deal with the bug world. Uh, OK, um, I won't step on you <laughs> or swat you. Uh, just don't crawl on me or bite me like and I, I relocate spiders. Um, I'll get put them in a Tupperware thing and mm-hmm. take them outside, or you know, yeah. I really don't, you know, ants. Yeah, I don't. I don't care too much. But um, for the most <laughs> part, I don't know flying so you, things you or buzzing things. Apparently, got some prejudices in the insect world, but you're working. Well, you're working on that, is what you're saying. There's, yeah, it's a process. Okay. But for the most part, I don't. I won't bother you. You don't. You don't bother, bother me. me. Yeah. Uh, maybe I know you're there or not there because sometimes you can see them or not if it's mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. And I actually carried that over to the spirit world instead of, you know, talking to the dead or this, okay, if you're there, you know, fine, don't haunt me. I won't uh, exercise you yeah. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Sure, it's sure. like, do your thing. Let me do live and let live. Yeah. Not going to kick you out. Uh, just don't rattle your chains. And I think that's helped me with, you know, <laughs> just in some way, because I, I don't want to meddle and mess anything up. So sure. maybe that's one of the lessons with these elements. So, you know, certainly like the fire one, the salamanders try not to communicate directly with them. Maybe it's just a mutual respect yeah. and acknowledgement. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, Hey, you're there in my consciousness. I can't see you with my eyes, but I can, you know, conceive of you in my consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Perceive a- an idea of you. And, um, Hey, I'm breathing air. <sighs> Wow. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Well, if you're helping keep it clean. For sure. You know, sure. let me know. I don't want to mess you up. Don't. You and know, living don't in balance, living in yeah, balance with yeah. those four elements, I think is really important. So if you think about the constituents and the kind of symbols that are associated with those different elements, so earth, air, fire, and much of earth, if you think about it, like, oh, my physical body, I need to try to keep that clean. And I need to try to do some exercise once in a while and get outside in the physical world and out of my head. And then, you know, think about air as like thinking or you know even the breathing i need to focus on my breathing and keep that even and normal and i need to get enough oxygen and water the fire of inspiration fire of inspiration direct towards some worthy cause yeah and you Uh, know to get out of bed in the morning sure sure exactly just keeping these different these different elements in balance in one's life is important too and then you know maybe interacting on a you know kind of imaginal or mythological or active imagination type level with um with these beings, I have a, you know two two stories I find pretty interesting short stories. But one uh, Jung, when he would he got back to the tower, von Franz was talking about this. Um, when he got back to working in his tower at Bollingen, he had this little castle like tower that he liked to do his work in that he would seclude himself at. And uh, he got back there one time, and he hadn't been there for a long time. And apparently, pots and pans were flying off shelves, and things were not cooperating with him, and you know things were banging around and. He got up apparently in the middle of his kitchen and announced to them, he said, look, pots and pans and all the spirits in here. You know, I'm sorry that you're frustrated with me that I haven't been here, but please, we need to get, you know, you need to get back into order and you need to, you know, you need to operate normally and, you know, and respect my, my wishes or something, something like this. <laughs> he had a good talk with the, yeah. know, the spirits and the pots and pans and in the earth and in this, you know, and it, well, he's talking about elementals in essence, or he's talking about the spirit and things. You know, and, and having that idea, you know, we do that with our car and stuff. You know, our car becomes a living creature to us. Oh, we name it? the car, right? And sure. That is a, an example of imbuing life with meaning and, you know, and value and a spiritual sort of substance. 
And if we don't do that, then we treat everything like a thing. We don't treat it like a, an important part of our ourselves and that that's connected to us in some way. And, you know, we can be very, very destructive, especially of the earth. If we don't have a sense that things are alive and imbued with life and, and meaning. And, and I think that was the genius, like I said, of, of ancient man, you know, believe me, they were cutting down trees and they were, you know, hunting animals. And the thing with them was they were so close to that process that I think like, you know, people that live in a more simple way are when you're living next to life and death and next to the elements and, you know, you're felling trees and you're, you know, you're getting scratched by bushes and you're, you know, you're, you're hungry and thirsty and you're, you know, you're really actually mixed up in the actual life, you know, life of things. You're, you're much closer to that. That's that spiritual and sort of mythological understanding of the world because it, you're living in it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas we've become disconnected from it because we're in little boxes that are AC'd and heated and, you know, our food comes in yeah. a plastic container and, you know, no, someone you don't delivers kill it. like a chicken with You're your not, hand. Exactly. <laughs> you know? When but you have people did that a hundred years ago, all people the time. People do it now. People all in, the time. Yeah, I'm saying outside of the, yeah, yeah but our quote in their real yeah. lives, didn't they? They did that so, on a daily basis. If yeah. you wanted meat on a farm, you killed an animal. It was very raised. Yeah. <laughs> and you might have named it. Sure. It, was, it was difficult. So, you know, and, you know, so that's the thing about it is making peace with the, with the essence and the spirit of these, these things that, it, that coexist with us as human beings is an important well, thing. Well, kosher meat. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Exactly. That idea. The animal. Absolutely. So those, those ideas are still alive. Uh, those ideas are still alive. I think that's the big takeaway from this, though, that I would suggest, and it sounds like you're saying, too, is just to kind of think about this stuff and view it. You know, when you feel the wind blow, imagine, you know, some 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 different beings and mythological creatures and so on, how they might be interacting in the invisible world or what might be going on. Or when you, you know, you see a little beautiful stream at a park, you know, think about some beings that might be living in that invisible realm in that stream and kind of, you know, treat things as if they're living entities, well, you're looking at them through them. the heart, through yeah. the heart, through the head. Yes, it's science. It's a matter. Exactly. It's an element. It's a fire thing. Yeah. Uh, but your heart is going to see these Absolutely. elements. Yeah, uh, look, and that's look maybe with what the elementals are. Yeah. So elementals can be seen with the heart. That's ah. it. That's our takeaway from this. Okay. Thank you. You're good. You're good. That's a great, a great way to put it. All right. Well, the other thing I would suggest uh, is uh, checking out Manley Hall's work, of course, um, in The Secret Teachings. Um, you know, this particular chapter, chapter 23 in the, in the book, the elements and their inhabitants. And then also um, that lecture, Un Unseen Forces. What's the full title of that one, Chris? Unseen, yeah, forces, unseen forces that affect our lives. That affect our lives is all about elementals and the elements, uh, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and the particular one mm -hmm. um, is about... Um, I think it's called the living universe beyond our sensory perceptions. Okay. Uh, that one in particular uh, parallels with. Oh yeah. That's about one today. of the ones that's from the five. It's a five. It's a five part, five part series. series yes. right? Okay. The uh, unseen forces. That All right. And so those are on YouTube and people can mm -hmm. find them there or they sure. can purchase them uh, at, at PRS, I think on the website still, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think a printed transcript of these uh, five lectures. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, All right. So that's, uh, I think that will do it unless you have anything else to add about the elemental world and the elements in general. Um, any parting, uh, parting well, wisdom? It's, yeah. Well, it, another way to look at um, the elementals and this more subtle uh, view of the elements, uh, one that's below the level of perception, uh, maybe in a different realm of consciousness is making the connection, and we speak of young, uh, with your own shadow, your shadow elements. And maybe mm -hmm. these elementals are our thoughts and some of our feelings, and they are maybe created by us mm -hmm. in our mm -hmm. inner life. Okay. That we have, you know, fiery passions or tempers, sure. perhaps. Uh, if it's channeled correctly, it's probably a passion. If it's, you know, goes too crazy, it's, it's a, you know, it's a temper. Um, yeah, you know, water, point. we drown in our tears, you know, oh, I'm up in my head all the time, just thinking and, or, well, that's the salt of the earth kind of guy. Uh, you know, we use this oh, great know, examples, in our yeah. lives. So, uh, yeah, just to, just to think of, you know, these subtle 
elements within ourselves of our thoughts. And we, you know, the devil on one shoulder and the uh, angel on the other one mm-hmm. in a teen Kim coming of age movie or something like yeah, that. Yeah. We might see, but you know, there are parts of our consciousness absolutely uh, going on and, and to connect with them just as we you know, talk about connecting with the, uh, the shadow side for sure uh, of for sure. ourselves. So absolutely. they're out there in the fire and they're, but they're, and they're in, here. in here. Yeah, absolutely. And Great equally point. invisible, but also equally significant in how, uh, and making peace with them and having a nice connection with them. Yeah. Uh, will we'll lead to a more harmonious life with the rest of the universe. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. oftentimes you'll see, you know, creatures or similar symbolic representations of these sort of elemental ideas and dreams. So look for those. You may see, a, oh, yeah. you know, a gnome or I've, I've, I've actually dreamed of, of gnomes before and fairly recently, actually. Uh, so, you know, you can, you know, these things are still alive and well within us. Uh, and that's a great psychological uh, insight. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, we've come to the end of this uh, elemental show. Thank you for joining us on uh, on the Cosmic Eye Show. We're here each week with a new episode on uh, Monday morning. We uh, we record these on Sunday. So uh, have a great week. Uh, please support us if you can at anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye. Uh, check out my book, If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. I'm your uh, host, uh, Jason Napolitano. My co-host is Mr. Chris Sheridan. And his book is The Spirit in the Sky. Uh, you can get that at chrissheridan.com or on Amazon. And uh, my book is at cosmiceye.org or on Amazon as well. So thank you again for joining us. Have a great week. Goodbye and God bless.